This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are coming to you on Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. And Brendan, this is a new catchphrase of mine. Uh, We are still in a lockout. (laughs) Uh, at least we have progress, it looks like, getting towards the end of January here. Before you know it, maybe this lockout will be ending and we'll have pitchers and catchers reporting to Mesa. Optimistic, I'm trying to be. Yeah, so we will talk a little bit about sort of the progress that we had. I believe the MLB and the Players Union met twice already this week on Monday and Tuesday, so that is good, even if the progress is not necessarily substantive to this point. uh, Progress is still progress and better than the three months or so we had where they weren't even speaking to each other. So yes, that is good. We will touch a little on that. We will talk uh, a little bit about the camp that the Cubs have been running for uh, about 30 of their top prospects. That's a very interesting story that came out in The Athletic um, earlier this week. But Brendan, uh, I I figured just because it is the the topic du jour here on Tuesday, uh, Mm -hmm. we could offer at least a brief thought or two on the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, as it did include one Sammy Sosa falling short, so he will not be a Hall of Famer. Um, And of course, you know, today I think the the bigger issue coming with Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds not getting in, but David Ortiz getting in on his first go. So we don't have to get too deep in the weeds here, uh, but, you know, Sosa is Cubs related, so sticking to the Uh, title of the podcast and when the league is in a lockout it at least gives us a chance to offer some thoughts do you care one way or the other about any of this do you have a strong feeling about any of this so so or otherwise we heard over the last week maybe bonds would get in maybe clemens and because they're linked to steroids what that meant for sosa didn't know but in my mind like he was just never going to get in and does that change things like for me like not not really um what really matters to me is like the Cubs bringing him back in in some capacity, even if it's for a, even if it's for a day at Wrigley Field. But this is just a moment in time. Like the, these writers who make these decisions and vote the way they do, they're going to be gone in like twenty years. And the way the younger generation's coming up, they don't care about the steroids as much as these older writers do. And so whether or not these Hall of Fame rules, you know, being left off the ballot because of so many times. Like my hunch is in 10, 20, 30 years, new generation of of writers, those rules will be changed and they're likely going to be Hall of Famers towards the, you know, tail end, I guess, of their lives. It sounds kind of morbid, but I just like, like it's whatever. I don't think it's that big of a deal because it's not surprising. Like that's, I don't think it should be surprising. It comes off kind of, just drop dead already. You know, that's what I'm hearing from you about I mean, these right for the most part <laughs> like are you su- are you surprised they voted like this like no absolutely no not. Like, i i said like this, marcus i said this last time you know that um the leader of the bbwaa the baseball writers association of america is paul yeah. sullivan and you can put together is he really paul that's paul sullivan i had no he's idea he's the leader of it now oh, i don't think he's sense. been for a while i think it's new but like you know you can okay. put together your own opinion on that 
um, and the validity of an organization when it's led by someone like that. Um, but no, I mean, I'm not surprised. It is a little disappointing to me um, because this just has such a stink. And I, I think what you're getting at in terms of the writers is that this whole thing just has a stink of like what a lot of us think is is kind of wrong with the game of baseball and holding back the game of baseball. And that is yeah. this sort of like rooted in the older mentality. It's, it's really best uh, embodied, I think, by when you listen to John Smoltz on the World Series broadcast or whatever. All he does is complain and talk about how baseball used to be better, and guys don't do this anymore, and it, the game used to be like this, right? And that's what's wrong with baseball, I think, in a nutshell. And it's not really something you see in a lot of sports. When people are watching the the Bills and the Chiefs, that game on Sunday, that was electric, right? You don't have the biggest pundits in the NFL getting on afterward going, well, back in my day, mm-hmm. they we played defense. And, it, you know, they don't do that. They're, they're all just like, wow, what a great game, right? And baseball is like the opposite. It's just a bunch of old people complaining about the, the current state of the game and the types of players. And what I'm getting at is this Hall of Fame thing just is a really, you know, it's a microcosm of that whole attitude. And I, I don't like... As I kind of said with Lester, like the 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 criteria to be a Hall of Famer is all over the place. It's pretty much made up, right? Um, but regardless of what you think of a lot of these guys as people and some of their actions off the field and even on the field, if you have a Hall of Fame and it does not include who your league recognizes as the all-time home run leader, you don't have a Hall of Fame. You have something else. Whatever you want to call it is fine, but it's just really silly, right? Like, I I think it was, uh, I saw a lot of people sort of articulate it this way, but like, the Hall of Fame should tell the story of the sport, right? And you don't have that story without Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds and someone like Roger Clemens, right? You just don't. I don't know what you have, but you have something different. I don't think the Hall of Fame matters as much as it did, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Now, to the players themselves, like, yeah, of course, like, that's a huge honor. But the way that the players can communicate with fans post-career, post-playing career, has shifted quite a bit. So you look at someone like Ron Santo, who unfortunately never got a Hall call during his lifetime that did not affect his lore in Cubs fandom whatsoever uh in fact it may have heightened it because he was not in the hall of fame so the whole like I don't personally care about it like the and the, well, I guess the I reason think a lot I of us really... stopped caring about it the way that they did yeah. run and then they let him in well, right I mean, after he died like you know yeah yeah but and it's like there there is so like you try to understand why you know, these writers and people like like Smoltz, like, why do they behave like this? Why do they seem so negative and talking down on the modern game? And I think baseball has this purity concept to it, where it's a very historical figure in history, and they want to preserve those historical pieces of the game. So I think it's almost like a defense, like you're trying to preserve that. So I can understand where those people come from. However, to your point, like I, I do think it's a detriment because your focus, their focus on highlighting 
those aspects of the game they don't like. It takes away from the moments and the and the examples of why the game has grown mm-hmm. and has gotten better. Yeah, and that's just not that's just that's just not well, right. And so like I think yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean I think when it comes to Bonds and Clements and Sosa, like. Hall of Fame or not, they're going to be huge figures in baseball history and kind of like in that same tone as Ron Santo not being in the Hall of Fame. Because of that, they're going to continue to get attention. And I think like Santo, when he did unfortunately pass away and got to the Hall of Fame, I, I do think that's going to be something similar for these current steroid guys. Not that they're going to die and then get in, but once the next generation of baseball writers retire and you get different perspectives in there and again from my perspective the younger writers seem very much pro that type of era not like like not pro steroids but but recognizing the uh frequency and the commonness of that and you look at like jeff passan as an example he was very much voting for those guys he's very much disappointed with not seeing bonds Clemens, etc., in the Hall of Fame. So I think that type of era mentality will just keep growing and growing, and there will be a time when when those guys do get in. Yeah, it's just somehow it's somewhat. just a shame that you know this is driving you know because this is also I I think the type of thing that doesn't really help the game grow or its position. Just especially with younger people, um, I, I just don't like the authority that a lot of these writers have, and and this maybe kind of like self-importance that they would get from being the gatekeeper of allowing some of these guys in or not and you know like especially to your point you know you talk about like oh they don't like what this era and and what it says to the game's history like let's go through the hall of fame and take a look at everybody else that's in there right because i'm sure brendan none of them were cheating in some way or terrible people off the field right of course not right everybody before the steroid era was great right sure thing um don't look into all of that if you know if 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 you want to apply that standard to everything so I think it just would be so easy like even if you wanted to like put them in a, a steroid era wing or something like that right like who cares but like keeping them out is just so lame and uh doesn't tell the story of of the game you know and especially speaking to Sosa if we're if we're coming from the Cubs angle like where in the world is the game of baseball without Sammy Sosa and Mark yeah. McGuire in 1998? Are you and I and even make... watching baseball if Sammy Sosa no, doesn't happen in 1998? Not. Right. So yeah. to yeah. like leave these guys out for this is just weird. And you know, then you go down a whole different rabbit hole when you talk about David Ortiz getting in for some reason, even though he was connected to it as well. I guess because he was nicer to the media than Barry Bonds was. Uh, and well, I, they're arguing that his substance was, you know, unintentional. But, like, come That's on. At that point, like, what are we doing? <laughs> you know it. what I mean? Like, what are you doing at it. that point? Like, that doesn't that doesn't make any sense. So, anyway, I, to, to another point that you made, though, sticking on, on the Cubs and Sosa, um, you know, the, the Giants released a statement— just kind of touting Barry Bonds' accomplishments and saying that they hoped he would be a Hall of Famer someday. And it does draw a pretty significant contrast to the, you know, shunning, basically, that the Cubs have been doing of Sammy Sosa. Um, And, you know, again, like, obviously the position of two 
people that are Brendan and I's age um, on someone like Sosa is that the Cubs should at least recognize him. And and again, similar to the Hall of Fame, like just acknowledge he's a part of your history. He's a part of a lot of why your fans are the way that they are. And um, you can present him and that history and your connection in whatever way you see fit. But removing it all together is just... I think the wrong choice um, and leaves a lot of people kind of feeling left out and, and just not great about the whole thing. So um, I, I think the moral— but why, Like, why do, you, why do you think they won't— What's an ownership Bring thing? Sammy back. Isn't it? Yeah, but like—, like yeah, it is. An yeah, they, they thing. just. I mean, you've heard. You've heard. They just feel uncomfortable. You've heard Tom say he needs to apologize. But like, but 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 seriously though, like, yeah, with Sammy, when you have a good majority of your fan base who who do want to see their former favorite player get some type of recognition, right? You're not going to appease every single Cubs fan. We know that. Like half Cubs fans like hate the ownerships to begin with, but to just exclude Sammy completely from that history is disingenuous to why you have so many fans to begin with. There, there was a picture today I saw of, it's like the trademark, you know, Sammy Sosa hop when he hits that home run against the Marlins and the NLCS. Like that moment right there, ball goes on the Waveland, you see the Waveland crown going nuts. Like that moment right there is, is instrumental to, I know, your fandom, to my fandom, to I'm sure thousands upon thousands of young Cubs fans. So to just not even acknowledge that that was part of your history and to only throw up on like the video board every other game, like a small little clip of Sammy Sosa, it's it's obvious and it's a reminder of the, the ownership's attempt to just kind of wash away that part of Cubs history. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. I, I think, yeah, ultimately I think it's sort of the same argument with the Hall of Fame. I just think it's weird to create these situations where like you do kind of acknowledge something, but then you also want to pretend like it didn't happen. It's very much like having your cake and eating it too. And I I wouldn't advocate for this, right? But like my feeling would almost be if you don't want, if you're not going to put Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame and like as a league, you're okay with that, then get him out of the record book right? If you're going to do it, you got to go all the way. Because to me, it just, this situation is so weird. Like if you look up who the the all-time home run leader, it's Barry Bonds. But then at the same time, they're like, no, 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 no. Like we got to, you know, pretend that that's, that he, that that didn't happen. And like, we're not going to, it's like, again, I would vote him into the Hall of Fame. I'm not advocating for that, but it just has the feel of like, if you're going to do this, like do it you know, as opposed to like sometimes picking and choosing when it's okay to acknowledge that these guys existed and like played in the game. And then, you know, I think the cherry on top, right, is Bud Seelig's in the Hall of Fame. He was in control <laughs> yeah. of it all. Like what a you joke, let it go. right? Like the guy yeah, who was supposed to be overseeing all of this and I guess stopping these guys with steroids and doing all of this, he's in the Hall of Fame, right? But the guys who played in the league and and you know made the league what it was when he was the commissioner they're not it's like it's just stupid like that that's all it really is and like it it's I I don't think you're pro steroids or something like for thinking these guys should be in the hall of fame you can acknowledge that you can tell the story however you want but they're part of the story and it just sort of feels like you you're handing people a book but you've ripped out some pages 
right? And it's just yeah. like, well, something's missing here. Yeah, I mean, it's with, with steroids, it's like it's not acknowledging that those had effects on performance. Like, of course they do, right? It's understanding the degree to which that type of substance has on your numbers like maybe it is significant maybe it's not significant but that's not for me to judge the reality is those are the numbers those are the record books yes those players may have irked writers back in the day who were trying to make their dollar and have some some attractive headlines it it is what it is but you can't ignore that part of your history and it's emblematic of, of the sport, and it's all wrapped up together. Even going into this lockdown, it often feels like the majority of fans' voice is just not Yes, well, not and heard. actually today, the players, a lot of players now later in the evening tweeting or posting in various places like, how is Barry Bonds not in the Hall of Fame, right? I saw Rizzo right. say it. I saw Marcus Stroman say it. I saw a bunch of other people say it. I saw... Um, Alex Wood was tweeting about it, like a bunch of guys, like from different teams and and situations, like they all feel the same way. And so I, I I like that point that it's it's like I don't think that this subgroup of baseball writers is is really like the representative voice for but baseball. It, and, it, and it feels like it. It feels like that too with 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 the owners with having really weird media leaks like rob not even leaks like rob manford before the lockout happened saying you know it's on the players they went away blah 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 it's like guys like how much more negative press do you want to give this sport like this is like it's an entertainment industry like stop with yeah. this it's so it's like maybe because we watch baseball more than any other sport but other than like the NFL lockout and like the referee stuff and the NBA lockout 10 years ago, I know hockey had their thing a while ago. It seems like that's kind of a thing in the past. And baseball, for some reason, man, from early 2000s, the steroid era, all those reports to now this and the COVID lockout stuff two years ago, there's always a problem. And it always feels as if a huge majority of players too, as you mentioned on Twitter, and fans, it's like, you know what, like, whatever, like, their voice doesn't matter, I'm going to shoo them aside, it's the owners, it's the former players on major media networks, and it's these baseball writers who, quite obviously, they come from an era where you have that type of hyperbolic, um, you know, cutthroat opinions, and it's just like, that's not relatable, anymore like what's like the guys uh i forgot his name like on the mlb network uh was it mad dog or whatever you know what i'm talking about yeah chris russo he's terrible yeah chris yeah. russo right so i mean he plays he plays as his shtick right like coming off as like this like cutthroat type guy and that type of mentality and that type of like baseball writer mindset that's going to be gone and because that will be gone, I, I do think at some point this conversation will be turned. But again, that could just could be an optimistic mindset from my for myself as well. Maybe that's not actually true. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, again, like the whole thing's made up. Like the criteria is made up. Like you can vote for whoever you want if you feel like it. Um, but this just feels not right. It just again feels like you're not really telling the the full story and um, like you like yeah. It's like you know Sosa's gonna be back one day. Like it's just it's to me it's inevitable. Maybe not in the next five or ten years, but one like one day he's going to be back at Wrigley because that's what happens. You get new people in there. You you know people forget stuff. 
and he's going to be back. It's just unfortunate we always do this. We always wait too long, and we always regret it. It's just it's going to be another scenario just like that. Yeah. So I mean, that's just you know some general uh, Hall of Fame Sammy Sosa thoughts. Again, I you know really truly did kind of give up caring about the Hall of Fame uh, with the way that they did Ron Sano. Um, and how desperately he wanted that when he was alive. And, you know, they gave it to him pretty much the minute he died. Um, so that, I think, always rubbed <laughs> I mean, pretty much all of Cubs fans the wrong way. Um, so, you know, this is whatever. I'll, I, I you know, I'll pretend to care again when John Lester's on the ballot. But uh, other than that, um, yeah, it just sort of is what it is. So I do want to talk about um, this sort of training camp that the Cubs are doing, because I think that uh, this was a cool story from The Athletic and, you know, maybe a a signal of things in a more broad sense going in the right direction for minor leaguers and prospects and things like that. And, you know, I'll start by saying, like, you know, partially, like, this obviously feels like kind of applauding, um, you know, million and billion dollar organizations for doing the, what seems like the bare minimum. Um, but this is still good that the Cubs are doing it. And, and in, um, I think they're alone, at least in something on this scale. And basically what they've been doing is, um, I think through November to February, I think basically until spring training would start, um, they are hosting about 30 prospects um, for like a training camp, uh, with a, you know, pretty substantial investment covering housing, food, transportation, um, stuff like that at some of their instructional facilities and just getting all these prospects together, providing all of that for them and having them together in this, in this camp. Um, and, you know, there, there's a lot of strides to be made, kind of like I was alluding to in terms of how minor leaguers are treated. And, um, you know, we saw so many stories, even just last season of, of minor leaguers without places to sleep at night, how they're working extra jobs. So that all is stuff that, that still needs to be taken care of and, 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 you know, not treated the way that it is. But, this is not something that I think other teams are doing, at, at least on this scale. And again, like it's somewhat of a market inefficiency, Brendan, to be the organizations that are kind of going above and beyond for how you're treating your prospects. And so this is this is a good one from the Cubs, so that, that they're doing this, that they had this idea, Jed Hoyer, um, and it was, yeah, this was from The Athletic. It was a fun read, and it's good to see. This is exactly what you want to see any developmental system doing, right? Like giving your young guys your resources to improve. In in my mind, it made little sense to expect optimal performance when those young players don't have those resources. So to bring in your top prospects... And this could just be the start, right? Like maybe one day they'll expand this. But to bring in 30 of your top prospects, you put them together. I'm assuming they're living across the street from the Mesa Complex in those uh, hotel rooms over there. Yep. Give it, Furnished give, apartments provided by the Cubs close to the Mesa Complex. There yes. you go. So you got that. You have you know healthy, nutritious food. And you create this competitive environment that's, that's good for everyone involved. So Brennan Davis had a... Uh, a great quote that I liked. And he said, quote, 
The only way you can compete like that is being around guys like this. It's an awesome environment. We're going to be in a really good spot heading into spring training. I'm excited to see where our minor league system ranks after something like this. I think there's going to be a lot of breakout years, end quote. And I think given the intention to get those guys to the next step, this is what you want to see. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot to like about this. As you said, firstly, it's always been weird. And again, still a lot of progress to be made in this area. It's always been weird when you see those stories about how little some minor leaguers get paid or how you know poor their um, housing arrangements are, travel arrangements, things like that. Because like you've invested in these players, right? Yeah. It, it's 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 a weird way of thinking, like to not support them better so that they can work and and do their job and ultimately provide more to your franchise, even from a business perspective, not no, even the human solely, element. From solely a business perspective. Right, solely a business perspective. Yeah. It never makes sense when you read these stories about how poorly the minor leaguers are uh, treated and handled because it's like, aren't aren't you trying don't you want these guys to succeed so that they can make you more money (laughs) right right? again even if you're not including the human element which you should but from from this particular thing from the cubs the the first thing that i really like is on those lines right you have all these top prospects and you want them to feel like the cubs are going above and beyond to provide stuff like this and give them those chances to do their work and and get better and train in an optimal environment. Like from the perspective of you just made a bunch of trades and got a bunch of young players, you're talking about building the next great Cubs team. So yeah, this seems like putting your money where your mouth is in making that investment towards these players and towards the future. But also it, the, you know, you hope that this is the type of stuff that gives you a leg up in certain conversations, right? The Cubs have brought in a lot of guys over the years on minor league deals and spring training invites and stuff like that. And you, you know, we just talked like last week or two weeks ago about signing international free agents. And we talk sometimes about bringing guys over from Japan or different countries when when they're posted and things like that. This is the type of stuff that you want to stand out to those players, right? Or like a guy that you draft out of high school and he's thinking, do I want to forego going to college or do I want to, um, you know, wait for a better draft status, whatever you want players like that to look and go, you know what, this, this organization has a history of treating prospects well, treating minor leaguers well, treating guys who aren't, you know, uh, their top paid starting pitcher on their major league team really well. And I respect that. And I want to be a part of that organization. So this is just one step towards that. And, you know, certain organizations do things better, worse, et cetera. But this is progress in that regard. And it's, it's the type of thing you want the Cubs to be at the forefront of. When you look at the Cubs just signing international free agents, they just signed uh, Christian Hernandez's younger brother, why did that happen? Well, probably because of that trust factor with his older brother. But that can be extended to other people as well. To your point, when you hear that the Cubs are doing something unique like this, it signals to that player, hey, I'm in good shape. My likelihood of succeeding is higher with the Cubs if this is how they go about operating. Yeah, And that looks really good for young guys who are trying to figure out who they should sign with. And even 
in extreme instances like the Otani um, example a few years ago, that might stand out as well. And you can use those examples as persuasion points to bring in new players. That is separate completely from actually promoting the development of these guys. Like I like the competitive aspect when you bring in your like these are the best young players in the cup system. Like undeniably the best. And they're going to be with each other, you know, like roommates getting every resource they need in a facility where there's no major leaguers at all at the facility right now. It is just them. That is extremely valuable. I'm excited to see how that translates to success on the field in terms of pitching or pitch development, or you look at Ed Howard or Brennan Davis, you know, strength development, uh, getting those reps in against those top pitchers in the system. Like it's almost an extra Arizona Fall League in a competitive environment, but in an environment that's more like conducive to like failing and adjusting more rapidly. I I think it's awesome. I think it's just the the first step of more to come and this new emphasis, not only for the Cubs on on minor leaguers, but hopefully, you know, for other teams as well. Yeah. And I I agree with you. I like that quote from Brennan Davis a lot um, because you, you, you have made this investment and obviously in younger guys, uh, being that next great Cubs team, that that phrase that we keep hearing so much. And this is a great way to build that chemistry, right? And just to, like, you want these guys, whether it's Brendan Davis or Owen Casey or Reggie Preciado, whoever it is, right, to feel like that's their destination, right? This is on our shoulders, right? We're the guys that they traded all these, you know, huge names in Cubs history for, or we're the guys that they drafted and 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 this, that, and the other that have these expectations. We're going to grow together. We're yeah. going to go to the system together, and we're going to win the World Series You're for the, the Chicago the Cubs exactly. at Wrigley Field. Yes. Yeah. Like, that's the attitude you want them to develop, and the best like way that. to foster that, I think, is having them work together and, and instilling that in them. Jed Hoyer was at the, the camp the other day I saw some pictures of him with Brennan Davis with some of the other guys like and you want that attitude like hey the investment is in you just because you're not on the major league team right now just because you're not Marcus Stroman or Ian Happ or any of these other guys at the major league level like you're important you you matter your development matters your standing in the organization matters and we want to start to foster a better relationship in that way and it it does kind of remind you like we saw some little instances of that when that last core was coming up like you saw in spring training or with the Iowa Cubs or you know whatever level like you saw those pictures of Chris Bryant and Javi Baez or Jorge Soler and some of the other guys like you got the sense that like they were in it together right they knew how important they were to the the organization. They knew that one day they would be doing it together. And you want to feel that camaraderie or that relationship, not just when they set foot at Wrigley Field, right? You want that building and, and that attitude kind of building in them. Like, this is our journey. We're on it together. And we've got a lot of stuff that we're going to accomplish in the future together. Yeah. When you go up through the system, with familiarity and that's what the Cubs had when they won the World Series in 2016 like a lot of those guys came up with each other we saw pictures of 
you know, Javi and Soler, like from years before they were eventually teammates at the big league team. So when you come up together like that, like I imagine the familiar environment is going to create, you know, the opportunity to to adjust more and, and, and try new things. So I, I do think that's really advantageous and it does in the current moment like push each other and not to say that absent of a camp like this these players would not be doing this I'm not saying that but you cannot discount the value of your very very best players pushing each other in winter right now and you cannot doubt the potential benefits of that you're not going to get that environment anywhere else like money's going to be an issue giving getting everyone together and this this seems like a no-brainer it almost makes you think like why like why were they not why were they not doing this before um i think in terms of you know what's what's next for these guys you look at brendan davis like he's close man like he's close to being there right at wrigley and i think when you look at the younger guys like owen casey and james triantos and uh, Christian Hernandez and his younger brother, like all, like all these guys, like when you see Brennan Davis at this camp, and then maybe you know six, seven months from now he'll be starting center field at Wrigley Field. It does validate that these efforts are monumental and worthwhile, and it it's it should be like a boost for them. Yeah, and I think it's good to, you know, again, kind of have these moments, not just in spring training, right? Like I remember last year in spring training, we were all like bugging when we saw those photos of Brennan Davis when he was with the the MLB team and in the lineup with some of those big names or walking off the field with, you know, whoever it was, Rizzo, Bryant, whoever it was at the time, right? Like, you want that stuff more often, right? Not just for a few weeks when they're together in Mesa. And this way you also get that, not with the major league guys, but you get that with some of the the super young guys and Brennan Davis, right? So it, it sort of trickles down to a different level. Now Davis is the star of this camp, right? He's the big name, but it's good to have him working with some of the guys who are still years away and who maybe are going to start the season in you know rookie ball or high a whatever it is you want to get that kind of like relationship that flow building through the system not just when they happen to you know leak over to major league camp for a week or two in march or february and it's especially good that you're doing this with the uncertainty of the major league season and what's going on there like we can't deal with those guys but like let's make sure we're we're taking care of um these prospects. But there's a good line in the article um, from The Athletic that I think kind of summarizes this whole process, right, that the Cubs are, are undergoing right now. And um, the line is, the big idea is that the Cubs are supposed to be at the forefront of whatever happens next in player development. And I think that's a, a very succinct way of summarizing why this is such a a good thing that they're doing and you hope that it continues to lead to more stuff like this like for whatever reason again as I've said several times like there's a lot of change that needs to come to how minor league players are treated and stuff like that but for whatever reason this is not something that every team does right and it is unique that the Cubs are doing it for this many weeks and on this scale with this many players and taking care of the stuff that they're taking care of. And so whether we need to make further strides or not, you want the Cubs to be the ones doing it first. And it sounds yeah. like they are. 
in addition to just you know being around your teammates and, and fostering those relationships, the same can be said about the coaches and the way they've restructured you know their scouting departments, their coaching infrastructures, their development infrastructures. This is also an opportunity for them to learn and to and, and to grow that camaraderie and that working relationship, not just between they themselves as coaches, but also between them and players. It gives them more opportunities to gain information, to identify weaknesses and areas of improvement. So it's not just the players themselves, but it's the system. It's those those infrastructures that are getting more information and more data so you can improve that way. So it it's it's a no brainer. Like why were they not doing this five years ago? I I I, I don't know. Maybe it's just it seemed obvious at the time, but this is this is a good first step, and I think it's going to be fun to see these guys continue to develop and age, and they may look back at these instances as some of the more influential moments in their careers, Corey. Yeah, again, like, we all want to see the Cubs spend on the major league roster you know we were talking about Carlos Correa we'll talk about him and other guys again when the lockout eventually ends and stuff like that but when the team makes those trades and they go for such young players and stuff like that it what what you want to see is stuff like this because as I as I said like put your money where your mouth is right if you felt the system needed an overhaul and you needed to get younger, you needed to move on from the core, et cetera, et cetera, okay. But but do what you can to really put that effort into the next great Cubs team, not just being a tagline, being something that you're really invested in. And this first offseason after they made a lot of those trades, you're seeing them do that and saying, hey, like the the article in the athletic talks about how you know Jed Hoyer and the baseball operations staff they have a certain budget that they work with Tom Ricketts on, and this was how they wanted to use some of that money and ownership agreed and and this is a program that they decided to undertake and that's the type of stuff you want to see right you want to see it all happening at the major league level too but you've made such a commitment to these younger guys and to your system keep going like spend the money, do what you need to do to make sure that that is paying off in the way that you envision it paying off in the way that you're taught, like, so that it's not just talk, right, Brendan? You know what I mean? Like acquiring these young guys and replenishing the system isn't just talk. It's like, no, we got all these talented guys and we are going to max out what we can do to deliver the pipeline that we are dreaming on. Signing free agents that are in their 30s continues to go towards more of developing players, finding those types of players that were missed for many years and developing them. As that continues to be the center of focus, these types of programs might pop up and the Cubs might be the first team to do this. In the past, many teams copycatted the Cubs in some of their ways to find market inefficiencies. I think the biggest the biggest obvious one was the, was when the Cubs were the first to blow past those uh, penalties when you signed international free agents. Once the Cubs did that, the next year other teams did that, and other teams did that, and they were the first to kind of imprint that type of strategy. And this might be another example. And for, what, three, four years now, 
we had so many episodes where you and I are discussing, man, it feels like the Cubs are not at the forefront anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And we had, I mean, we must have talked about that for hours and upon hours for, from 2018 on. And now it's the complete opposite. Not, I mean, not totally, but it in feels, some ways, yeah. yeah, yeah. It feels as if the the conversation has changed a little bit. And now we're talking about what the Cubs are doing differently. And you're reading articles on a more like specific note here of why the Cubs are like using more sinkers and what's the thought process there and all what's with these new resources and the new pitching. Uh, infrastructure, hitting infrastructure, like you're seeing things change and shift in ways that you didn't see when Theo was at the prime of his Cubs tenure in 2016-2015. And it's it's changed quite a bit. And you can be upset about the Cubs not spending money over the last few years. You know, we are, of course, and some of the trades, you know, it's frustrating. But separating that out, finally it feels as if the Cubs are making obvious strides in their scouting and their international free agent signing and their player development. It feels as if they're getting that, that mojo back that we felt like in the early 2010s. Yeah, absolutely. There, there is a lot of things an organization, a baseball organization needs to do to succeed and win on a yearly basis and stuff like that. Spending money is part of it. And, and the Cubs need to you know, get back to doing that at the level we expect from them. But all of this is a part of it too. And like you said, Brennan, that was a great point. Like there were years where it felt like they were spending money, maybe not enough, but they were spending near the top of the league, but they weren't nailing these other areas. And obviously the best place to be is when you're hitting on all of these fronts. So it's a process, but this is uh, obviously a step in the right direction, at least from this particular subsection of running a baseball organization. So let's uh, finish with just where we are in the lockout. And there was some progress. So we are getting there. Um, But I will, I want to read um, this. It's a tweet from uh, writer Jared Diamond. And I I think it's a good caveat to sort of start this on. Um, And He's talking about, so So the first tweet he said, the parties are still far, far apart on how much money would be available to players in this bonus pool, really far apart, but it's a start. And then he goes on to say, this applies to many issues they're discussing. The parties aren't close on just about anything when it comes to core economics, but the point is there has been movement, small movements, but movements. It's a start. So I wanted to read that because... There, there's still a lot of distance here. They do not have an agreement. The lockout is not over. And by the sound of it, we're not really specifically close. But progress is good. And as I said, there was a period where they weren't talking at all. They've talked a couple days this week. I think they might get back together this week or at least soon. And they're starting to get into some of these specific issues. One of the ones that they discussed, at least on Tuesday, uh, was the raising of the minimum salary for players with zero to one year of service time um, and moving that number up. A huge concern for the Players Association is uh, guys who are not arbitration eligible, so pre-arbitration eligible players who have not accrued that service time, getting more money, right? Like guys that come up for a short period of time, not making uh, such a small amount. And of course, you know, you look at these numbers like relative to you or I, Brendan, this is not a small amount, but of course, like this is a big business. So that's one of the key issues is taking care of those 
pretty ARB players, and that was one of the things that seemed to be making some positive progress. Um, They're working on the pre-arbitration bonus pool. Um, They are looking at those minimum salaries and stuff, Uh, but, you know, the idea is getting some of these young players paid more before they enter arbitration. That was one of the key things that they discussed today. So, again, some progress. It's at least getting there. How we're looking on terms of you know, deadlines and things like that. It's, it's too tough to say, but we're maybe inching forward. It does, it does feel like progress is being made. Like we're late in this process though. Like it's, you know, today's January 25th and pitchers and catchers typically report in mid-February that that's three weeks from now. The Cactus League schedule should begin on February 26th. That, that's that's four and a half weeks from now. They got to get this done ASAP. Like even to get pitchers and catchers reporting at the appropriate time, They some think they need to get a deal done within the next week. To even make the first spring training game on February 26th, some people think they need to make a deal within two weeks. So yeah, it's, you know, finally they're pushing... The door forward a little bit but you know we're getting late here and for all we know there could be some type of sidetrack thing going on but it does appear that both sides are making concessions which is great but it feels like it's getting a little bit too close for for comfort and I don't know how to feel about that right like I like you like part of me is happy that this is progressing but part of me is still disappointed and still wondering if, if this is enough because as I said pitchers and catchers three three weeks from now should be reporting and it doesn't feel as if the big foundational aspects are in place maybe that happens tomorrow when when uh, the day ends but right now like we still have a lot of room to go man and yeah like you know three weeks they got to get this done to even get in a respectable amount of spring training games. It has to be done fast. Yeah, and I think the concern is if you hit any sort of impasse, right, that that you kind of can't get past. You really don't have the time for that, right? You have no room for error. Yeah, at this point, like, the you know, sides are going to have to make concessions. You're going to have to really fine-tune the negotiations on the numbers. Like I said, I'm talking about the kind of salary minimums for pre-arb players and stuff like that. They didn't settle on that, but they at least kind of made some progress towards uh, getting to those numbers that they like. But in all of these issues, if you hit a, a roadblock, like a, a sort of like stopping point for one of the sides, like if you don't agree to this, we're out. You don't have time for that. So, uh, you know, how that goes, I I... I don't know. Um, and it's also, you know, I've read this point a lot, Brendan, but it, it really does stand out as we're talking about this. Like, this is, it's like so public, you know? There's what something is? so weird about, like, knowing the negotiation points of some of these things, like, in public. I, I, I it, it probably doesn't matter, but it, there's just something really weird about it. Um, well, it's you, good that you, the players have the... reporting that? Like, you, you hear the reports from, like, you know, Heyman and Passon. Like, who's giving the information to those guys? I would assume it's like anything else. There's points that the owners are comfortable leaking and points that the players are comfortable leaking. You well, know? what's the intention, though? Like, does it put, like, negotiation pressure on these guys? Well, that I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, as we've discussed before, I, I would think that 
um, you know, the average fan doesn't care about this stuff at all. I, <laughs> I don't I don't dial into every detail of this. I'm not at the negotiating table. Like, I want the players to get their just due. But, like, I'm not sitting here reading every piece of, of negotiating data and stuff like that. Like, I'm not a part of it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, someone who's who's not freaking out over 162 Cubs games a year, I'm sure they don't care about this. So it's just interesting, like reading all these specific numbers. It's like, why Why do I know this? Like, why is, this, why is this available to me? But I feel like, dude, I feel as if, you know, maybe in future years this, this will be fixed, but there, there's no deadline for this. And there's like no neutral arbiter that makes a deadline for this. And as a result, what happened, this entire offseason is completely gone. Like we spent the last like six weeks doing nothing. Like the, like it's it sucks. And then you have maybe ten days for free agency to finish up. Like this is bad for the owners. It's bad for the players. It's bad for the sport. So if there's another negotiation in the next five years, like something has to happen where it's like, all right, you know, by January first, this has to be done. And if not, here are the consequences on both sides. Like this, I just, I don't know. It's this is it just seems like this is you know another example of players and owners who just cannot agree on this and it's going to happen again in the future it's just it's annoying can we get marquee cameras to this prospect camp in lieu lieu of 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 the major league team is that a, a, a possibility I, I mean, listen, if you want to pay for me to fly down to Arizona, I'll get my iPhone out. I'll do it myself, Corey. I'll go on the field. I'll bring my A2000 I'm out there. I'm not paying you for anything. I'll take ground balls with the team, man. Maybe they'll sign me up. Oy. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not going to indulge that. But, like, because for, for me, like, we, you and I will get on here and we'll talk when they hit a CBA, we'll talk about it. We'll we'll talk about the data points and if the players uh, got enough or conceded on too many things, whatever. We'll talk about that. And then we're going to have to rip into free agency trades and all of that. Dude, um, like half the market's not even signed Yeah, we're, we're not. It's going to be a whirlwind. It, it's going it to be is. nuts. It is. That's going to be but, a lot of episodes maybe. like we are also getting to the point where like I joke about the the marquee and the, and the prospect stuff because we're getting to the point where like I need some baseball stuff and uh-huh. and this this kind of like to bring like our whole episode today like full circle like the fact that the the predominant conversations about the game of baseball in the last few days even just today right are the snubbing of some of the all-time greats who may, you know, may, may have cheated, definitely cheated, probably cheated, however you want to look at that, but from the Hall of Fame and how the negotiating between the ownership and the Players Association is moving at like a snail's pace and they're bickering over hundreds of thousands of dollars and millions of dollars, right? It's, it's terrible. Like that's what the discussion is, right? It's just not good, and I just need some, ba- like, baseball in my life. Like, I just want to watch, like, I would watch David Ross hit a fungo on the infield right now. I'd oh, kill for awesome. it. You I know what I mean? That. Yeah. Like, that yeah. would be sick. Like, Andy Green running some, like, catching drills or something like that. Let's like, I, I just, I need some baseball that isn't so, like, bleak and negative and, and business-oriented, and it it just, it's it's just, like... I can deal with it for a while because we're not supposed to have baseball on January 25th, but we're just getting to that point where it's like, oh, this stuff 
it's really getting old and like I just don't like I care but I don't care anymore I, I just want them to play baseball I, I want the players to get what they deserve and get back to what we're all interested in this for anyway I mean look if if we have uh listeners and you're a baseball fan that's like a huge like core economics uh you know man or woman and that's your thing like all the power to you, right? Like I'm not, I'm not trying to like talk you down here, but it's just not my jam, and I, I need it. I need some actual baseball here. Uh, I mean, you know, from the lockout in in 2020, from March to, to July, and, and now this, from what was it like first week of December through now? That's that's like five six months of zero baseball, man. Like it's. It's so it's so bad for this sport. It's I'm so sick of, do- of trying to find things to talk about and like trying, like ugh, it's 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 frustrating. It's like of all the times to do the CBA negotiation, you're doing it off of a year that you still had like two months with limited baseball fans. Like it's like what are you guys doing? Like you're an idiot. Like Rob Manfred, you are an absolute idiot. And like all of this negotiation tactics and in the media stuff before the lockout it's like truly zero confidence in this type of operation at this point so let's get these guys back on the field let's get the cba done let's talk about what it means get the players signed let's let's go let's get this sport back going i feel as if we haven't had a real baseball in like two and a half years yeah so that is where we are at as the state of things like at least we got some progress i'm not expecting there to be like some massive breakthrough like in the next couple days or anything like i I think there's clearly some some distance here that they have to cover but we'll hop on when we need to if there there's a a major breakthrough or anything um and we'll you know take a look at, at where they are and where they got to and um you know, once they do reach a deal, you know, again, kind of reset the table for what should be a whirlwind of free agency and all of that. But for now, we'll talk to you guys next week. As always, thank you for listening to and supporting the Cubs Related Podcast while the sport that we're talking about is in a lockout now for like the fourth month or whatever it is. We appreciate that. And we will, uh, we'll, we'll be here until Cubs baseball comes back. So we'll, we'll talk to you guys soon. And as always, go Cubs. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.